Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The small business is the engine that makes our city move. We didn't have any help from the city government, and at that point, it was unheard of. Most small business owners and entrepreneurs don't know how to do business with the city of Dallas. This is a community full of people with a history, and Dallas has preconceived perceptions about this community. We have made a lot of changes in a lot of parts of southern Dallas. We've got great expectations about those possibilities. Hi, I'm John Little, and this is KRLD In-Depth. Today, we're going to look at economic development in southern Dallas. It has been a priority for city leaders for several years. You remember, former Mayor Mike Rawlings put the spotlight on it with his Growth South initiative. Growth South is an economic plan to drive economic growth in southern Dallas. Some projects are having an impact, and then there are more on the horizon. What we're really trying to do is bring Redbird Mall back to what it was in 1975, not in terms of what it has to offer, but to revive the spirit of Redbird Mall, which was a welcoming place, a place where everyone in the community had a reason to come and felt good being here. But there are also new questions about how the city should go about promoting development and who's able to actually take advantage of these city programs. So we bring in KRLD reporter Stephen Pickering now. Yeah, hi, John. Uh, there there are some really exciting things happening in southern Dallas, but as with a lot of things, change can bring in some new problems for neighborhoods to deal with. We saw some of that recently when the Dallas City Council approved a loan to help out a, a new grocery store that was opening in the Bishop Arts District in North Oak Cliff. Yeah, I remember that. How much was that loan? Uh, well, the proposal originally was for uh, 350000 dollar loan and a $350,000 grant. That's just straight up money. Uh, after a couple of months of public discussion and meetings, the city council eventually dropped the grant part and they gave a loan to the company Royal Blue Grocery. Uh, city council member Chad West was elected to represent District 1 earlier this year and I got to talk with him about some of the issues that came up during the debate over that proposal. It became a really hot, divisive political issue, not just in my district, but throughout the city. This was, for me, a job creation opportunity, and it still is. Now, that Royal Blue Grocery deal does include some provisions for the minimum wage for the company's employees, also requirements for the store to reach out and recruit employees from the nearby neighborhood. Councilmember West says that while those were not part of the official application process for the economic development program, it's something that they are looking at. The city is developing an economic development strategic plan right now under the leadership of Councilman Tanel Atkins, and as part of that strategic plan, we're going to be building in equity into these deals. So I, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I do believe that this particular case will serve as a model for discussion purposes in developing our policy. So it sounds like that particular neighborhood, Bishop Arts, I've heard a lot about development there, but it sounds like they're feeling some growing pains too. Yeah, they've really uh, transformed that neighborhood in a lot of ways over the past 10 years. Uh, the debate for the 
help for this one business here, brought up some concerns that you hear about a lot when cities get into economic development. The big issues, who benefits and really at what cost? When the city offers a loan or a tax breaks or fee waivers to recruit a new business and create new jobs, that can rub some existing business owners the wrong way. I spoke with Cindy Pedraza. She runs a family-owned business called Coco Andre Chocolatier. It's uh, in Bishop Arts. They sell chocolate. She opened her store right about 10 years ago with her mom after they were both laid off from their respective jobs. We didn't have any help from the city government. And at that point, it was unheard of, right? We've never been in business. We've never been business owners. So anywhere we went, of course, it was a no. Like my mom did have a small business plan put together, but everywhere we turned to, it was a no. And especially, I think it's it's a harder hit when it's like your local bank that you've been banking with your entire life. And they know you, but they won't approve you for a loan. And I think that's still the norm for us, right? As Latino, um, Latinas in this market working in business, it's, it's tough. She says it was painful to see the city offering help to someone from outside of her neighborhood. Why aren't people advocating for the people that are already here that are making Oak Cliff so attractive? We made it attractive for people to come in with our, you know, our taco shops, the eclecticness of the neighborhood, the people. You can go to a restaurant and people know your name. And, in, you know, especially in like in the Hispanic owned businesses and the black owned businesses, people know it's more personable. It's a relationship. People treat you like your family. But we don't see funds being allocated to sustain these businesses. Pedraza says she loves the Bishop Arts neighborhood, but she's concerned that rising rents could force her out of the place that she calls home. Where we started out at our building at 831 West Davis, it was a rundown building. There was nothing really around us. There was two other little businesses owned by other women, but we were just, all of us were just, you know, getting by, um, doing what we can with what we had. Our business was, not our business, our building was in pretty bad shape. So... There was no help, like nobody came and helped us, but we noticed uh, like a couple of years later, people started taking notice like, hey, this chocolate shop is actually bringing people in from the other side, you know, from Highland Park, from all these other areas. And then all of a sudden our building becomes of interest, right? So then our building was bought out. And so now it's a beautiful building now and it's gorgeous, but we keep seeing this as the norm. Now we're in this house now. We've been here five years now, and here we are. When we opened this location, the buildings next to us were run down, you know, awful looking. And people were like, oh, really? You think you're going to make it out here? And here we are another five years, and businesses are starting to come in next door. They're starting to redo the buildings next to us. So you can see that our businesses do attract, as Hispanic women are, do attract clientele and attract people to come into these areas. And we've kind of given that little push to for other people and developers to take interest in our neighborhoods or our blocks that are kind of like forgotten. Sounds like one of your concerns might be that as the area continues mm-hmm. to develop and continues to attract new residents, new businesses, you may have a repeat of what you had five years ago. Exactly.
exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it, we keep seeing the trend, you know, like wherever we go, we see um, the block kind of change and improve. But as a small business owner and a woman, again, um, and I hate to repeat that, but it is a significant part of like our, you know, our story. It's all the statistics are against us, right? When you're a Latina and you're Hispanic, you really don't have any kind of government help or any kind of loans or anything like that. So it's part of our story. And it's really sad that everywhere we've gone, we see this development happen around us, but none of our like city council members have ever reached out and said, hey, you know what? We see what you're doing. We see that you're causing a change. You're, we see that you give back to the neighborhood. Hey, there's this grant available to you. So I think, that's, um, I think that was the hardest part, I think, for a lot of the small business owners that I spoke to, was that we've been here. We've been trying to thrive and change this neighborhood and trying to improve and build community and give back, but there's nothing in the city of Dallas's hands, or nobody's ever come and been like, hey, here, this is available to you if you need it. So what are some of the things that cities look at when they're deciding whether an economic development project is a benefit to the greater good? Well, a lot of times, traditionally, they've just looked at some metrics, some things that they can physically measure, new jobs created, increased property values, increased sales tax revenues. Now, what we saw with the Royal Blue Grocery and Bishop Arts were some additional goals for the company to meet, such as paying employees above the federal minimum wage, also trying to recruit employees from the neighborhood to make sure the neighborhood benefits. Dallas City Council member Carolyn King-Arnold represents District 4. That's an area between I-35E and I-45 just south of downtown. She says the equity portion, what she calls it, for the neighborhood is important. And it's part of what we used to call the social contract agreement. You know, we have to give up some things in order to get other other things, other services. And so uh, we're, we're, we have handed over as constituents the responsibility of advocacy on this front where we are at the horseshoe to protect, to speak up, to represent community members, especially in the areas where they live on a day-to-day. So yes, we're obligated to that. Some developers work to meet those concerns head on and, and they build them into their agreement with the city. Peter Brodsky is spearheading the redevelopment of Redbird Mall. He told me they spent a lot of time listening to the community and making adjustments before they signed their deal with the city. We have very, very stout minority business participation commitments that we were very happy to agree to because it was our intention anyway, uh, but, but the city made it legally binding. So as well they should, we're using taxpayer dollars And if we're going to be the stewards of public funds, we need to be held accountable and we need to make sure that the taxpayers, all of the taxpayers, get their fair share of of the spending going on here. So that was never an issue. Brodsky is doing one of the biggest economic development deals in southern Dallas. And he says in their case, city incentives were absolutely necessary to make it happen. The city has had such an important role in this project that I really consider them a partner, particularly Councilman Atkins, who's the councilman for District 8. He has been by my side the entire time and a big, big advocate for what we're doing, as well as an advisor about what the community wants. And so the city's been terrific to deal with. They they gave us a lot of money. And a lot of people ask why 
and why is that a good use of taxpayer dollars? And, and the fundamental explanation is this, that we are trying to, to prove that in the Southern Dallas market, there is a population that desires and can afford the Class A amenities that are so widely available in North Dallas. And we are therefore trying to build an environment that looks every bit as high quality and is every bit as high quality as so many places in North Dallas. But the rents that we're going to get in the short term don't justify that expense. And because this is a 40-plus-year-old site, there are millions of dollars of infrastructure that has to be upgraded for which there's no return. And so what the city agreed to do was to pay for that infrastructure so that we could charge the rates that the market currently bears and still provide the amenities with the hope and expectation that the next development will have better evidence of the demand for high quality amenities and will be able to command more premium rents. And that's why this was necessary as a catalyst for further development in the area. He also says the city has a bigger role to play in boosting the economy of southern Dallas, and that can include helping banks and developers get over some of their prejudices that keep businesses out of certain neighborhoods. There is a very ugly history, uh, racial history, in this city that I don't think is really well enough understood to be able to deal with it. But the fact of the matter is that the demographics of this part of Southern Dallas, where we are in Redbird, in Southwest Oak Cliff, are solidly middle class. And there is no reason why there should be such a lack of amenities. And there is no reason why the rents should be what the market is making the rents other than assumptions about communities of color, uh, preconceived notions, perceptions, biases, whether conscious or unconscious. And so you don't have any of that in Prosper. Prosper is a field. This is a community full of people with a history and Dallas has preconceived perceptions about this community, that is the major challenge here. And that is why there's a supply-demand disconnect. There is demand for quality. All you have to do is walk into that Starbucks that we built and see how crowded it is all the time to understand that there's plenty of people here who want to spend $5 for a cup of coffee. That's not the problem. The problem was that up until we convinced Starbucks to do it, no one was taking the quote-unquote risk of putting a Starbucks in this community. One businessman who has already invested in Southern Dallas is Darren Babcock. He started Bonton Farms just east of I-45. KRLD business analyst David Johnson spoke with him. So originally I got invited down there to meet a group of men from that neighborhood that were returning home from prison and trying not to go back. And those men changed my life. I, I met people that had been through more by the time they were five than I had been through in my life. And they were still standing. You know, they were still fighting. And their resiliency 
um, drew me in some way that I have a hard time explaining. Uh, but ultimately, I was so ignorant about this history that we're talking about, about communities like that, how they were established, how they still exist today, that um, I was compelled to, to move there to learn. And so eight years ago, next month, moved there. And all of the work that you see today is a result of the learning that I have, the, the, the neighbors have taught me. Uh, the very first thing they said is, you know, we don't, we don't want to go back to prison, but to not go back to prison, we need jobs. We need to work. Um, and I didn't understand that, but I know now today, if you were to look at the city of Dallas and draw a line across uh, where 30 is right. and, and say that's a divider for north and south, did you know that 55% of the population of our city lives north of that line and 45% live south? No. You know what percentage of jobs are north of that line? Uh, a whole lot more than 55%. 95%. So we, we have almost half the population of our city living where 5% of the jobs are. And if you understand poverty, you know that poverty also impacts mobility. So when, when jobs and food and everything yeah, else are around. in other parts of town and I can't get there, then I don't have access to it. So we started uh, a job training program, and soon after we did that, people kept calling in sick, which obviously you can't do if you want a job. And I learned that they weren't calling in sick the way that I was accustomed to. It was not the cold or a flu. They were chronically sick. Yeah. Like, I can't ever work on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday because I, I have dialysis those days. Right. And, uh, you know, my first question was out of self-preservation. Like, why is everybody here so sick? I moved here. Is this like a Flint, Michigan, where the water's bad? Am, am I going to get sick, too? And when I kept asking those questions, people just kept saying, no, this is a food desert. And... I have to be honest, I was, I can't imagine that in 2019, in the richest country in the history of the world, in one of the richest cities in the richest country in the history of the world, we have neighborhoods like Bonton that don't have food. You start a farm and you employ people mm -hmm. and they're going to make wages. Yep. And then they're going to turn around and sell the stuff. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, sell the stuff to each other so they're eating better. Right. But they're also going to make money for the, for the project all along. Yeah. They say this is not a proven thing, but the theory is accurate that uh, in the inner city, our money stays there for, for less than 24 hours because none of the things that we spend our money on are in our neighborhood. So the very little bit of money that we earn immediately leaves being spent in other parts of town where all the goods and services are. So ultimately, if we're going to build wealth, we have to build economy there so that our dollars recirculate. Okay, so some of the people around there and the people who work there, I guess, are the buyers of the produce, but who else is it? Well, we we sell, we kind of have a Robin Hood approach, right? We need to make as much money as we can so we can pay living wage jobs. So we sell a lot of our produce to the best restaurants in town, the ones that are farm-to-table restaurants. That, Names I would know? Oh, yeah. Uh, Flora, uh, Michelayo, Lucia, uh, the, the best restaurants in town that have chefs that want to use locally grown food that came right out of the ground that they can use it as fresh as possible. So there are plenty of people that are doing economic development in southern Dallas right now, some of them on their own, some of them with the city's help. So is the city of Dallas, are they going to stay on this and keep in the economic development business? Well, the city council members I spoke with say yes, that they believe that the city does have a role to play in that area. I 100% uh, believe we need to do it across the city in, in, a, you know, in a balanced way through the the areas that need the economic development the most and, and also in the other areas. Because, frankly, 
all of our surrounding neighbors are engaging in economic development activities. We're competing with them. I firmly believe that we do play a role. Uh, and we were elected for the purpose of giving voice to those individuals who don't have a voice around the horseshoe, and they're not coming to the meetings, but they speak to us while we, when we are in the communities. And so, yes, we have a responsibility of creating infrastructure that will attract economic ventures to come to our community. And so the answer to that question is just yes, yes, underscored yes. And both of those elected officials have said that they're interested in prioritizing the needs of the neighborhoods and also giving them a voice in the process? Yeah, John, it's uh, something that both Councilmember Chad West and Councilmember Carolyn King-Arnold agreed on, even though it's uh, too early to get into the specifics. I do know that several members of the council, myself included, want to see equity pieces in the deals, but every deal is different. We have to take care of our family, and, and Dallas families matter, and they come first. But we have to be at the table as we build that vision. And, and this, what a better place to start right here with 2020. And the 2020 vision is we can move together and we can move together better if all of us are working together for a common goal. Peter Brodsky at Redbird Mall says these community benefits are something that he embraced early on in his effort to revitalize the mall. He also says empowering the neighborhood means respecting what kind of businesses people want to see and even what they want their neighborhood to be called. We are not in South Dallas. We are in Southern Dallas. South Dallas is a small neighborhood around Fair Park, sunny South Dallas. We're in Oak Cliff. There's also Pleasant Grove. And then within Pleasant Grove, within Oak Cliff, there's all these other sub-neighborhoods. It really irritates and even offends people who live in other parts of Southern Dallas when they are referred to as South Dallas. Because South Dallas, it's as if you're calling the entire North Dallas Vickery Meadow or Highland Park. That's not what it is. People are proud of their communities. People are proud of their neighborhoods and people want others who are coming into their communities supposedly to serve to know enough about them to know what the name of the community is steve that that may seem like a small step to some but it can have a really big impact and we're going to keep tracking how the southern dallas economy is growing and how neighborhoods respond to the changes we invite you to subscribe to our podcast krld in depth every week we tackle a different local issue so for stephen pickering i'm john little for news radio 1080 krld remember we are your home 1080 on the dial for news traffic and weather together on the eights thanks so much for listening t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.